Hello and welcome to the second St. John's Allerton podcast. It's great to have you here and I hope you enjoy listening. St. John's is a church with lots going on. There's way more than just the Sunday morning gatherings. This podcast is a place to hear about loads of different areas of church. This month, we've got some of the best bits from February's God, Life and Everything. The evening was about the environment and Rachel Manders, but brilliantly, great insight and knowledge. After we've got some notices about things that are happening this month, and then we've got a conversation with Joy about the theology of Easter. Sounds heavy, but don't let that put you off. I had a chat with Mark, our digital lead and a member of the staff team, to hear more about what he does behind the screens. And finally, we've got a very special treat in the form of a poem from our regular food bank poet, Steve. We start this month with some of the best bits from our evening with Rachel Manda at God, Life and Everything in February. She's a bit of an expert on things to do with the environment and faith, so we asked her to share something that was on her heart. We join in when she's talking about a graph from NASA about the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. Sorry, you can't see the graph, but I think the point is made clear anyway. So this is, this is a graph from NASA, um, and um, what you'll see is a very uh, steep and quite alarming line on the right-hand side of the graph. Um, so historically, um, the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has never really gone above 300 parts per million. And we're now in a situation where it's over 400 parts per million. And under some forecasts for the end of the century, it um, goes up as high as 600, 700 parts per million. Um, and it's this, it's this line on the graph that's causing us quite a lot of issues, because <laughs> that's the reason that we're experiencing the warming effect that we have in the atmosphere. Um, and then that's where we're getting um, all the impacts that are happening at the moment. Um, if we go to the next slide. So this is a very known about thing. It's why we have the United Nations process. Um, and in um, Paris, fairly still recently, 2015, um, so that was the year I started university and I had no idea this was happening. Um, but in 2015, uh, I think it was like 192 member states agreed that we should limit global warming to two degrees and pursue limiting it to 1.5. Um, and it was a really big, landmark and um, it was a huge deal, still is a huge deal, and it comes up across the entire discourse of um, climate change particularly. Um, but what's significant, if you, you will hear 1.5 and 2 degrees quite a lot, but like, what does that really mean? Um, and so in 2018, um, the IPCC, um, that's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, um, released a special report that looked at just exclusively the difference between what 1.5 degrees would mean for the Earth and what 2 degrees would mean for the Earth. If we go to the next slide. Um, and they were saying at that point, um, actually, we're, we're set to reach 1.5 degrees uh, between 2030 and 2052. Um, and then 2021, they kind of updated that and said there's a greater than 50% chance um, that we'll rise above that uh, within the next 10 years. Um, and so, I mean, any of the dates on here, I'm like, well, this is before my retirement currently. <laughs> and they can seem like quite abstract dates, but they're, they're really not. Um, and it was the launch of this report that was really quite um, pivotal for me at the time. Um, the IPCC is, um, it's like a, they've got scientists from all around the world and they convene and they look at scientific papers. In the case of this report, it was like 30,000 scientific papers. And they try and condense them in such a way that they've got like, the best understanding that, uh, that they can of like the 
um, particular probability of different effects. Um, so I wouldn't go away and read them because they're really boring. Um, but they also tend to be quite, like they're very authoritative because they're, they're quite conservative in what they're, they're trying to look at because they're trying to look at like what they really, really, really do know. Um, so that is the kind of source of information for a lot of things. And we'll get to that again in a second. Um, so if we go to the next slide. Um, so this is, so under current projections, we're set for about 3.2 degrees of warming um, this century. Um, so that's higher than both the number 1.5 and 2, <laughs> um, as you'll notice. Um, and we're currently emitting about 53 gigatons of carbon dioxide a year. Um, and, and over this coming decade, that's set to be like an increase between 2020 and 2030 of 16%. When really, if we were going to stick to 1.5 degrees, you'd need a decrease of 45%. Um, and that looks like the next graph. Um, on the next slide. That looks like a really sharp decline year on year on year. Um, and it means that basically the levels of ambition that we're seeing from governments across the world um, you'd need to like triple that for two degrees and you need to increase that by fivefold by 1.5 degrees. And I'm sure um, you will know that it's quite difficult to get governments around the world to like increase their ambition on anything by a degree, let alone by like a number of times. Um, so we're in quite an interesting situation where actually we're, we, um, you'll hear those numbers quite a lot, but where we actually are is quite far removed from that picture. Um, if we go to the next slide. This is the sentence that when I read in 2018 that IPCC report really changed things for me because um, it's in the middle of lots of like very sciencey sentences but it's like I don't need to be sciencey to like understand the words here um, and it says limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees compared with 2 degrees could reduce the number of people both exposed to climate related risk and susceptible poverty by up to several hundred million. It's like several hundred million I can't even think in the terms of those numbers. And I was also like, ah, oh, this is between 1.5 and 2. And I know that that's not the current picture. I really want it to be the current picture, but I know that it's not. Um, and so actually getting outside of those frames as well, it becomes a like, really worrying picture. And there are lots of reasons to um, care about this beyond just people. Um, but it was people initially that really kind of grabbed my attention because I was like, oh, actually the, the premise of meeting people's needs around the world is having a stable climate. And if we don't have that, all the other problems become that much harder for us to like work towards. Um, so if you go to the next slide. So I think the best way to understand climate change is as a threat multiplier. Um, it can seem quite like, I don't know, a changing climate means like soil degradation and higher temperatures and sea level rises. And it's difficult to kind of work out all of the implications of that. Um, but basically, if you've got those changes, then you get things like food and water insecurity and loss of livelihoods. And then when you've got those things, you're headed towards uh, migration and conflict and inequality. And in just the same way as like COVID, like the greatest impacts of COVID were felt by people who were more vulnerable. Same thing applies to climate change. You get exactly the same, same model. Um, if we move slide. So all of this was the reason that I um, got involved initially um, through the like student divestment campaign that was happening at Cambridge when I was there. Um, and then in joining Extinction Rebe Rebellion when um, I was in London um, and trying to kind of 
find other Christians who kind of had a similar um, concern um, to me, and then also through the Young Christian Climate Network um, and getting involved in campaigning across COP26. Um, and one of the things that I um, initially kind of um, approached this with, which I think would be a good source of um, discussion for us tonight, um, is that XR used to sign off like emails and things with like love and rage. And I was like, okay, I can really get behind the love part of this, but the rage part I don't really connect with. Um, and I found it quite difficult that there was that kind of aspect or edge um, to some of the kind of reasoning that people were getting involved. Um, but I've been really kind of challenged through my like further involvement with these things that actually rage is an appropriate um, reaction to a situation of sustained injustice. And quite a lot of the way I expressed my Christian faith initially was a kind of like, everything's going to be okay. And actually, that's not a kind of... Hope isn't a reason for inaction. And I think I found it difficult to kind of work out that balance initially. Um, and actually, there's a really rich Christian tradition of grief and lament and kind of working that out and kind of centering the aspects of our faith that are all about um, suffering and actually also death. Um, and looking at the situation of climate change as one that will bring death and will be bring destruction. And rather than putting us, our faith doesn't cause us to deny that and put us in a place where we ignore it because we believe there's life beyond death. Actually, the Christian faith calls us into death and then out the other side. Um, and how we do that as people of faith and how we kind of look at that or consider that in the time to come, I think is like a really interesting and central question for us to kind of go through. And I really like the quote that's on the next slide, uh, which is from um, David Atkinson, who was a bishop. I don't actually know if he's still a bishop, but he was a bishop at some point and he said this thing, uh, which I thought was really good, um, which was, we need a theology that's more robust than the optimistic wish that everything will work out all right. A theology that may take us by way of Gethsemane and the cross before we reach Easter, by way of grief and mourning and repentant change before we celebrate hope. And I was like, this, that's the sort of hope that we need, and that's what we need to model as people of faith in the midst of a situation that's um, going to cause people to suffer. So there you go. Lots to think about there. We followed this with some talk over cheese and crackers before coming back for a question and answer time. First question was, when you see so many people not bothering about reducing plastic waste, does what we do really make enough of a difference? I have two main thoughts on this. So the first one is that we actually, one of the really difficult things is that as one person, you can do the maths of this and be like, Oh, it's kind of neg negligible kind of thing. But actually, you can apply that same logic to a lot of stuff. Like, there'll be people here that vote, for example, and probably you know that it's, un it's very unlikely that that vote count is going to be one vote difference. So you could look at that and be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't bother. <laughs> um, but actually, a lot of people, will, when you ask them, why do you vote, they'll say something along the lines of, well, they might not, I don't know. Some people will say, um, actually, it's connected to my belief about being a good citizen, for example. So we, looking purely at just what we deem effective, 
will only get us so far and probably isn't a logic that you apply to a lot of things that you do in your life. <laughs> um, so there's, there's kind of that element of it. And I, I would connect that as well to um, an understanding of holiness. And actually, I think um, a belief about doing what is right before God is quite different to doing something because you will believe it's effective. Um, and quite a lot of people here will be like, oh, well, if, um, if you have a Christian faith, then you're thinking, oh, well, I, what I really want is for the church to be known in all the world and for the kingdom of God to come. And actually, as one person, um, you can probably look at that and be like, well, whatever I do <laughs> is is the end outcome I want going to materialize through my own actions? And the answer is no, no, it's not. That doesn't mean that you don't do all of those things. <laughs> um, so I think that's, that's one thing. And I would encourage you to think of small things that you do for those reasons to be part of um, your worship as, um, towards God. Um, and actually, I don't think we do think about that. I think often we think about it as a bit irritating. Um, so that's, that's one part of it. And the second part of it is, um, at, at the same time, um, I think there's a helpful analogy somewhere here about um, health and what we do for health. Um, it's not helpful to become really obsessive about your health, and you can do that and become unhealthy in the process. And I think it's the same thing with things that around environmental change, is you can focus on a load of little questions and get really worried about it or be really overly um, you can see something that's happening that's against the direction that you want to move in and it can feel really personal or difficult or um, discouraging whatever set of emotions you so like um, and actually that's, that's not the way I would encourage you to go in. <laughs> um, what I'd encourage you to do is, in the same way with health, you kind of think about some like main blocks or areas in your life. Um, so with health, it might be like sleep and diet and exercise. And you kind of look at them as like big, broad areas in a holistic way. <laughs> and you think about, okay, how can I get my health in a good place through that? And in the same way with like environmental things, I think what you want to first do is look in a really holistic way at different areas of your life and then think, okay, how can I move this towards the values that I hold individually? There's big stuff there and sadly there's not time to share the whole discussion. But for a bit more, I asked Rachel, how much do you think we should encourage the love and rage idea of making a difference through protest and disruption? One of the good things <laughs> is that we, we, there is a plan for how we would decarbonize the UK. Um, and that is modeled by um, the Climate Change Committee. Um, and we have already, taking the kind of baseline year as 1990, the UK has decreased our emissions by 42%. Now, when I ask someone, anybody, like just generally on the street, and I say, how, like, what do you think has happened since 1990 to the UK's emissions? Everyone says it's gone up. And it hasn't, it's decreased by 42%. And that's mostly because of our um, power sector and whatever. And there's a, lot more, there's a long way to go still. And we've basically done the low hanging fruit on a lot of that thing, those things. But there are material like ways that we can plan 
and the government has the expertise to do it, should it so desire. <laughs> um, but it will also require changes, changes to people's, the way we build things <laughs> and the way we travel. Um, and um, some of the changes that are to come involve a lot more of kind of, well, people buy in basically. Um, and that's harder for governments to do. And so given the electoral cycles, we're like, oh, maybe not. Um, but there are things that we can do and that are known about as solutions. And they're a bit boring and whatever to read through, but they are there. Um, and we want to see those things being done well. So many good thoughts there. Sorry we can't share everything she said. There's quite a lot of talk of eco-friendly banking and pensions. And so if that's something that you're interested in knowing more about, do get in touch and I can direct you to the people who know about that sort of thing, because it isn't me. The next God, Life and Everything is on the 16th of April, and we've got another special guest. Harry Steele is the Bishop's Chaplain and a very wise guy. He's talking to us about the Bible, how we should use it, and why he loves it even though it's tricky. And if you're lucky, he might even share some of the stories about his tattoos. Now it's time for some notices. I hope I didn't hear you sigh. There's so much going on at St. John's that we really want to make sure you kept up to date with everything. This month is pretty special in the life of the church because it's Easter, so there's a lot going on. As always, Wednesday morning prayers with the staff team um, during term time at 9.15. The warm space is not open anymore throughout the rest of Wednesday because it's not so cold outside anymore. Holy Week starts on the 3rd of April and on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday we've got 7 o'clock reflections in the evening for a quiet space starting to think about a journey towards Easter a bit more. On Thursday at 7 o'clock we've got a communion service followed by a shared meal. If you want to be a part of that just get in touch so we know how much food to cook. On Friday we've got a vigil at the cross at 2 o'clock. Um, and then on Sunday, we've got two services. One at 6 a.m., which is a traditional dawn service, and um, we've got an Easter celebration service at 10 a.m. On Good Friday, we've also got the Easter extravaganza. See the play on words there. It starts at 9.45, and it's until midday. If you want to bring a packed lunch, you can stay until half past 12 and eat together. It costs three pounds. There's hot cross buns, an Easter egg hunt, Easter crafts, parachute games, and you can find out about the first Good Friday book for that through church suite or be in touch with amanda 16th of april we've got the next god life and everything with harry as we talked about a minute ago that's at six o'clock and um beck is starting a new parents coffee morning for children with scnd needs and speak to her for more information about that that is loads going on it's going to be a great month Sometimes it seems like there's a lot to know about to be a Christian. The reality of faith is very simple. But sometimes we want to understand a little bit more. And each month on the podcast, we were going to ask our vicar, Joy, something about what it means to be an Anglican. But as it's Easter this month, I thought we'd broaden it from just Anglicans to belief and theology about Easter. So I asked Joy to explain what is the point of Jesus dying? Just a small question, but this is what she said. Nice, easy question then, James. <laughs> like, let's start with a really simple one, shall we? Okay. It is one of those questions, isn't it, that theologians have tried to answer in a million different ways for the last 2,000 years. Here's the way I think about it for what it's worth. 
So I think that humans have a fundamental problem. And that fundamental problem is that what we want more than anything else is to live in complete connection with God, complete connection with other people around us and complete connection with ourselves. And yet through all of the things that happen in life, we end up becoming disconnected in a thousand different ways, disconnected from God, disconnected from other people, disconnected from ourselves and disconnected from the world around us. We see that in all of the challenges that the climate is facing at the moment. And that pain of disconnection is unbearable. It's, it, it costs us in so many ways. And I think we fill that pain of disconnection with all sorts of other things, mostly with things that we become addicted to, things that stop us from feeling, things that numb the pain um, and the reality of the disconnection that we live with all of the time. One of the things that strikes me the most about the cross is that when Jesus goes to the cross in that moment of death, as the sky darkens, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that idea that in that moment of death, what Jesus, God's perfect son, who had experienced the ultimate connection with the father of being the creator, being part of the Trinity, being in heaven, being involved in the creation of the world. Jesus in that moment as Jesus the human being experiences complete disconnection from God. So so we can't hold this in our minds almost it's so massive but the very fabric of the trinity is broken apart is disconnected in that moment of death. And that is a moment of complete darkness, of despair. It's in, in the gospel, it tells us there's an earthquake, doesn't it? Mm. You know, even the fabric of the world is kind of rent apart by, by such a, a momentous experience. Mm. And yet we have that Easter Sunday moment of resurrection that actually just powerfully demonstrates to us that disconnection is not the final word, that that longing that we carry in our hearts to be connected, to be known, to be loved, to be understood, to be uh, in complete unbroken relationship, that is actually the reality that God intends for us. And that is so unbelievably powerful. Death is beaten. Jesus takes on that disconnection in order that we can experience the fullness of connection in unbroken relationship with God, with one another, with ourselves, and ultimately in the healing of all things with creation too. And uh, that for me is how I've come to most understand the cross and how I've come to uh, really delight in the fullness of the gospel. Wow, there you go. That was amazing. Thank you, Joy. Next up, a little change of pace, and we've got a conversation with Mark. And uh, I started off by asking him who he was and what he does. I'm Mark, and... Uh, I'm the digital lead at St John's, which can mean a lot of things and probably does mean a lot of things. Um, so uh, at the back of church, there is a sound desk, which um, is uh, for mixing different microphones and different instruments. Um, there's a uh, three cameras that are around church, which are mixed together to uh, 
to go into a, a live stream which is on YouTube. Um, there's also at the back of church a computer which um, can put different things on the screen, so videos or um, liturgy or Bible readings or mm. songs. Yeah, so, so we so don't have hymn books anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was that great phase in the 90s when we had um, acetates on OHPs and you had to flip them yeah, around. Yeah, I, I used to be that person, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that kid when I was 10. Or yeah, and now it's it's all on there and it's it means it's easy to see and you can make the words bigger for, for people to read and stuff. Yeah. Um, so on a Sunday morning you organise the team. Yeah, so there's, there's a team of about 12, 13 people um, that... Uh, and there's four roles each Sunday morning to so the sound person. There's a camera person, there's a director, uh, and there's a pro presenter operator, which is on the um, on the computer, putting things on screens. Yeah, cool. And outside of a Sunday morning then, yeah. what do you do? So other things I do, um, any design that we do in church uh, is mainly done by me. There's certain things that aren't still. Um, so any posters or leaflets that we do, um, flyers around Christmas, um, I put those together. Um, I do. I look after the website, so um, maintain that and update that. Um, I do any screen notices ready for Sunday, um, which are also on the website. Um, I do some training with some young people, which is... Um, has mainly been in the sort of the equipment that we have at the back, but more recently as well has been um, a, a youth worship uh, type of thing as well. Uh, and worship, I've been quite involved in that as well in the last well yeah, since I've been here. We've seen you on the stage. Yeah, leading, leading or, or or playing different instruments. Um, yeah, which I quite enjoy mm -hmm. that side of things. Good. Well, yeah. we, all, we all enjoy when you do it. Um, and you do the stuff on Facebook as well, don't you? Which is one of yeah. those, like, to me, it always you always think, oh, it's a little thing. But to keep it maintained well, it, it's quite a lot. And you have to hear from all the different people mm -hmm. um, about what they're doing so that it can all be shared online as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah so any, any of our social media, uh, Facebook or Instagram, haven't quite got to TikTok yet. Uh, but it's something I might might get into <laughs> one day. It seems a little bit too young for me that one. <laughs> uh, I've only just got to grips with Instagram, which is what my kids are all using. Uh, yeah. um, but we have started having some little reels, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. So reels are just basically short video clips that um, I'm, I'm sure you'll have seen when you're scrolling through Facebook, and they can be really addictive. To, to, <laughs> to, yeah, I can find myself on on reels for a good 10-15 minutes mm -hmm. when all I wanted to do was read one of the notifications that had come up <laughs> yeah. which was probably from my mum sucked in but yeah it's clever how that happens yeah um, yeah so is there your team your team always is great isn't it and mm. the stuff goes really well Lo a number of people do really value it being online and we all value the words being the correct words on the screen sure. and you really notice if they're not the right yeah. ones or if someone's a bit slow with the next one in the song mm. and there's this awkward a bit of a pause. <laughs> People don't yeah. know what to sing. Yeah. Um, but what what uh, what can people pray for you about to help your area ministry grow? Um, I think really, um, I think 
uh, more creativity and you know we've got a lot of really good useful equipment that this church is massively invested in um, and we, we want to um, make sure we're using that creatively and to the best of our ability um, so so maybe you know creative ideas about how we can further that certainly the reels is is one way we've started to try and increase our social media presence in mm. and around Hillsborough and and actually if you do look at the statistics of that which are in the um, the PCC's report and um, it's something up like 200 percent since since we uh, since well since I started uh, started the job um, nice. I might have just plucked that figure out of the air, but I did write it down. It was <laughs> something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, a massive increase, anyway. So yeah. we've we've got we've got something like four. I think it was four hundred plus followers on Facebook now. Mm. So they're obvious. You know, there's two hundred on our church uh, Facebook page. So four hundred on on our um, our main Facebook that page. Public one. Yeah, the public yeah. one. So people are seeing our stuff yeah. and. You know, the, with the reels particularly, there was there was seven hundred that had seen the, um, the last cafe church reel we did, which was Martin mm-hmm. walking in all the pastries, and over six hundred had seen us, um, going prayer walking. So mm. the reel that shows us all yeah. walking out. Church Somebody randomly street. mentioned that to me. Actually. Yeah, yeah. And so so the reels thing is really so, you know something that's working well, and people yeah. are seeing us, and hopefully the church is getting more and more visibility and yeah and then people know that they can come and if they know they come and get pastries i think that's great yeah yeah um and yeah more so for more creativity we've got some great equipment yeah and we want to find ways to for, to use it well to yeah, to help absolutely. the church yeah. grow and help people hear the gospel more. yeah exactly that yeah nice oh, thanks Mark. Just after our conversation, Mark also said it would be great if on social media, Facebook or Instagram, you could like or share or comment on any of the clips because the more we do, the more that the social media platforms share with other people and get the message out there even more. So get liking, get commenting and something very special to finish our podcast this week, a special treat. Every week at the Food Bank, we have the privilege of hearing an original poem from our very own Steve Carter. And he was gracious enough to let me record one to share with you today. So um, he gets the final word. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this month's podcast. And I'll see you very soon. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's all set. Right. It's, it's called In the Year 1959. And it's now Carol and Paul's time to shine. When your parents welcomed a new life... And Bobby Daring sang Mike the Knife. But Errol Flynn has sadly gone. And open this year is the first section of the M1. When the lunar probe takes to flight. And Cliff Richards sings Travelling Light. When the full bank has never been seen. When it's the birth of the Sheffield Light to Sean Bean. When in the charts it doesn't matter anymore. By Buddy Ollie. And it's now the start of Time Sees Telly. When the Everly Brothers sang Till I Kissed You. And when Emma Thompson, Sarah Ferguson and Brian Adams was born as the same year as you two. But you are both now a lot older and one is losing his hair. And you have had many years to plough. You used to get called my valentine. You used to get a birthday greeting, a bottle of wine. You used to get treated like you was before, now that you're 64. (laughs) But there is no need to be sitting by the fireside, just come and step through the door. 
but it seems strange that one looks younger and one looks older. Are you sure you're both 64? <laughs> <laughs> you know, me feel like clubbing until quarter to three or dancing on the floor, but we still need you. With some cake, we will feed you and it will say happy birthday, 64. Yes, we still need you to give us a hand. And don't forget, you are now both second and third in command. <laughs> and, and the Grim Reaper is not yet knocking on your door because you're both a very fit looking 64. Oh, <laughs> I don't know about that one looks younger and one looks old. <laughs> Well, no, not kind to Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm defending you. Anyway, Elvis quiz. I forgot it's Everybody's got to come round for Elvis quiz. Come on, mate, tease more fair this week.